Hello, my name is Reverend Seth Nelson, and I am the pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Ronan, Montana. Join in weekly to hear the good news of God's love proclaimed over your life. You can follow us on Podbean and iTunes. God bless you this day. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Still to this day, we remember and appreciate the ancient Greeks for many things. They were pioneers in the fields of philosophy, art, politics, and warfare. From the unique military lifestyle of the Spartans to the conquest of Asia by the Macedonians, Greece made a name for themselves across the ancient world. Their conquests are the reason why our New Testament books, for instance, are written in Greek. From the Iliad and the Odyssey to Plato's Republic, the tragedies of Euripides or the satirical comedies of Aristophanes, there's much that the ancient Greeks accomplished, which is still admired in our modern world. Many can consider the birthplace, uh, consider Greece to be the birthplace of European civilization and for good reason. And yet, there are aspects of the ancient Greek world that would not sit well with many of us today, at least many of us Christians. While we love to herald the tradition of the Olympic Games, holding track meets all over the world, um, we have done away with the Greek tradition of competing naked. I imagine if we brought that practice back, high school track meets would get a lot more awkward real fast for a lot of teenagers. Similarly, while modern competitors love to revel in the athletic endeavors of the ancients, we are slow to talk about the massive crowds of prostitutes and huge number of animal sacrifices that were central aspects to these events. Holy festivals for the Greeks honoring Zeus, Athena, Apollo, or even, or, and especially, I should say, Dionysus, entailed all sorts of things you shouldn't do in church. <laughs> it was all sex, blood, and drunken revelry back in those days. From practices to slavery to concubinage, polytheism to temple prostitution, there are many aspects of the ancient Greek world that are best left in the past. The Apostle Paul gave us a window into thinking about how to relate our Christian beliefs to ancient Grecian thought when he stood beneath the Acropolis and proclaimed the good news to the Athenians. Apparently, it was not Paul's intention to preach to the Athenians. Right before this passage in Acts, he and Silas had been in northern Greece, preaching and making disciples when things got a little testy. This happened often. The apostle had to get out of town for a while. So he headed down to Athens and hung out around the synagogue and shared his beliefs around the city. In the process, he began to turn some inquisitive heads. So they brought him up for debate on the Areopagus beneath the Parthenon in Athens. If you have been to Athens, or if you have never been to Athens, I strongly recommend a visit. It is a beautiful city with a profound and long history. 
A central draw for tourists to the city is to see the Parthenon and the Acropolis, or on the Acropolis at the center of the city. Now, situated right beneath all of it, about halfway up the Acropolis, is a rocky outcropping known as the Areopagus, or as the Romans called it, Mars Hill. It was on the Areopagus that the ancient Athenians debated all sorts of philosophical, scientific, and religious matters. It was here that Paul ended up proclaiming the message of the risen Christ to the Athenians for the first time. He began by pointing out how very religious the Athenians were. By this, Paul was maybe getting a little bit cheeky. I'm not quite sure. He was probably referring to the fact that there were all sorts of temples and statues and deities all around the city. A fact that would literally define the Athenians as very religious because they had tons of gods. I believe that he was being cheeky, though, because he was praising them for their religiosity on the one hand, but then calling them to do away with all these gods on the other hand. It would be like somebody saying to you, I see that you really like steak. Here's a salad. (laughs) But Paul had a sincere purpose for doing this. He called attention to their many altars and idols to connect with them over one with an inscription that read, to an unknown God. To an unknown God. That's how he got their attention. He started really speaking their language when he spoke about altars, and even more so when he recited some ancient Greek poetry back to them. The lines in him we live and move and have our being, and for two we are, or we too are his offspring, are lines taken directly from poets that they all would have known. At the same time, Paul spoke their language in order to critique their religious practices. The ancient Athenians were taken with this, with sculpting idols and craven images for God. But Paul tells them that the true God was not created by human hands. The true God created us. The true God is not found peddled on altars, adorned with gold and ivory, or a statue to be worshipped. The image of the true God is imprinted onto each and every one of us. Because the true God breathed life into us all. Somehow, the altar to an unknown God should seem as familiar in our modern world today as it was back then. People across time seem prone to build altars to unknown gods in their lives. Some literal altars, and perhaps many more figurative altars. What do I mean? Well, for one thing, the phrasing used for unknown God in Greek speaks almost ironically across time to the present. The Greek words for unknown God are agnosto theo. It is ironic because it features the same word which describes many contemporary religious beliefs. Agnostic. Agnostics are those who don't really know what they believe about God. They are non-committal in their beliefs about the world's creation, about our salvation, beliefs about the truth of Scripture, and all aspects of theology in general. 
For agnostics, every notion of God is unknown. This passage speaks ironically to our time because there are more agnostics in our world now than probably ever before in human history. It is my assertion that most people worship at the altar to the unknown God more than any of us realize. Sometimes our unknown worship of unknown deities is idolatrous. When we treat things in this world as though they can bring us fulfillment, we often end up worshiping these unknown deities almost as gods. We think to ourselves things like, if I only had that car, then I would be really happy, as though a car can bring truly lasting joy. Or, if only I was with this person instead, then I would know true love. Even though many people who think this way end up chasing down their true love, after true love, after true love, so on and so forth. Never, never finding genuine love at all. Some end up chasing unknown deities by seeking fulfillment, by coveting a new house, a different family, different friends living somewhere else, having a different job, or wanting someone else's life entirely. Those who idolatry, idolatrously worship unknown deities never really seem to have it green on the other side of their pasture, if you know what I mean. At the same time, the idea that Jesus Christ is the one that the Athenians were really seeking at the end of their altar to the unknown God is powerful. Paul speaks of the beautifully uh, pervasive nature of the true God, who is found all across the world and across time. Paul argued that, though they did not know it, the people of Athens were already seeking the risen Christ. The Son who was present at creation with the Father and the Spirit is behind all of creation, does not need any carved image or statue to be worshipped. The Son was unknown to the Athenians because he lived and died amongst the Judeans. Yet, he was resurrected so that he may become known everywhere to all people. The end of all our longing for the unknown God is Jesus Christ. Behind the altar to the unknown is the one whom we truly seek. There are many unknowns in this life and many things that we seek. It can often seem like life is one big altar to the unknown God, leaving us perpetually seeking and desiring more. But we can rest in the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the incarnate image of our God eternal, who came to earth to make God known to us. We no longer have to think about making images and guessing what we think God looks like. If we have faith that Jesus is Lord, then the unknown God becomes known to us through our faith. When God becomes known to us, we realize that Jesus is the resurrected Lord we were seeking, we were seeking all along. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
I hope that you've enjoyed this week's sermon podcast. If you would like to hear more, read my blog, or get a copy of my book called The Church Unknown, go to www.revsethnelson.com. If you feel called to support our ministry, I invite you to go to our church's website at flcronan.org and click on the Offerings tab. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace.